Welcome everybody to this week's podcast of Change Starts Here. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and this week we're welcoming a child psychologist named Dr. Jody Carrington. Uh, what I love about her is she's a child psychologist who actually doesn't really work with children. She works with parents, she works with educators uh, to work on the paradigms of serving kids better. And the conversation was incredibly robust today. We dove into the power of belonging and being in every moment. She believes that we belong here, which I really appreciate. And she'll dive into what that actually means. Uh, she talks about how we don't want to be fixed or saved as people. We want to be seen and witnessed. And then the last part that I very, very much enjoyed was the, the difference between connection and reconnection. Jody Blinks believes strongly in reconnection. And so I'll let her explain what that means to her. But I found that to be one of the most powerful points that I took away from this week's interview. So uh, enjoy the next 30 to 40 minutes. It's a great, great conversation. If you've never met Dr. Jody Carrington before, she is inspiring, but she's also um, very incredibly authentic, like all of our guests, but she says exactly what she means and is incredibly funny. So enjoy the next 30 to 40 minutes. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think the one thing I want you to know before I ask your first question is I've worked, I've got a chance to work with North American, but particularly Canadian educators for several years now. And definitely for the last two or three years, I feel like any educator that I've got to talk to or work with across Canada has, and I've asked who, who are some of the most influential people in education right now? your name continues to come up and it comes up because one, the topic that you've like the topics that you, you, you choose to focus on are really rich, important topics to today. But two, uh, you live with your heart and you don't hold back. You say what you mean. And so just your authenticity, I think is incredibly inspiring. So, uh, when I had the chance to start this podcast, quite honestly, you don't know this. You were one of the first few names that we even put on the list of, Hey, I hope we can get Jody on our podcast. So, um, thank you for being here. Our Canadian team that we have up there, uh, is the real reason they continue to push, push, push of like, we've got to talk to Jody. We've got to figure out a way to get there. And so we just feel really fortunate and excited to talk to you today. So thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. That's like the highest compliment of all compliments, Dustin. I love that. So thank you. I'm so excited to join you. So let's dive in. Yeah. So the first question uh, that I've, I've told plenty of folks uh, before about, uh, there's a question that a guy named Brad Montague is the creator of Kid President shared with us a while back, which was uh, instead of asking the question, what do you do? Um, it's what do you do? Like, who are you? Right. Not what do you do for a living? Who are you and why do you love what you do for a living? I Okay. So first of all, I adore that question. Uh, <laughs> and, and I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, but I, I often talk about why it's important to figure out why you love what you do, because in the hard moments, you really need to know. And um, there's a couple of things I know right now is that I will never retire from this. I will, I will do what we're doing today for the rest of my days, I hope. And it was, it's so interesting because I'm not an educator. I, I'm not a K to 12 educator. Um, I don't, I, I don't even like kids. Um, I, I'm a... <laughs> Huge. I have three of my own, so I'm gonna come around. That's and what I was gonna but, ask. You have three. Yeah, like, no, I, I they're know. okay. I mean, they're all right. But like, I feel way more confident with other people's children. I don't know if you know this. I I feel way more confident with other people's children. I like other people's children better. I, I mean, 
I, I'm a child psychologist by training, but I will devote the majority of the rest of my career to educators, particularly teachers in K-12 education, which I mean by a teacher, the definition of a teacher is somebody who sort of inspires and brings and um, brings knowledge. And so that's like EAs, bus drivers, custodians, uh, you know, teachers who have their degree, um, all of those educators, because here's the deal. It was a, it, there a couple of things. There was a teacher that changed my life when I started out in K to 12 education. So I grew up in a little town in Viking called Viking, Alberta, Canada, which is like a rural community in Western Canada. And um, it's a K to 12 school, it still is. And I can tell you today, the first and last, I'm a 45 year old woman. I know, I know, I don't look it, but anyway, I'm, I can tell you the first and last name of every teacher I had K to 12. My bus driver's name was Stan Connick. He picked me up every morning from grade three until grade 12. He was the first eyes I saw in the morning and the last eyes I saw at night. He was a crushy old son of a bitch and I adored him. I went to his funeral, yeah? And uh, I knew where all of my teachers lived and I knew who their kids were. And they each, every single one of them are so woven into the tapestries of my life that I think if any educator on this planet who's listening to this incredible space that you've created, if they only knew, if they only knew that the ones that they've impacted the most are probably the ones that can tell them. If they knew that to their core, it would be so much easier to show up in a season where we're asking teachers to do way more than we should be. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, you know, I often talk about Holly Nordstrom. And so she was my grade 10 teacher. I have no idea what, what literacy and numeracy she taught me. But I do remember where she was standing the day that she told the 22 of us in my grade 10 class that the most popular kid in our class that day or that year had been killed. And I remember where she was standing. I remember what she was wearing. I have no idea what she said, but I remember how she made us feel. And I remember thinking in that moment as a 16-year-old kid, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to make people feel the way Mrs. Nordstrom made us feel that day. And 25 years later, uh, I get a PhD and I work on a lock psychiatric inpatient unit. And I've now created a platform around reconnection because of a teacher who had the capacity to show me how to do it. And you can't give away something you've never received. And many of the kids that we serve, um, as I serve as a psychologist and educator serve in the classroom, learn some of their most important lessons of being seen by caregivers, teachers. And if we only knew our impact, it would be so much easier to stay in the trenches during those dark moments, which I think we're really up against right now more than ever. Yes. So I, I, I anyway, sorry, yes. I can, no, I, it's my show. I don't know if you're new here, Dustin, but like you might. <laughs> no, that actually means it's really comfortable. So don't you stress. I think uh, the problem is I can go 17 different ways by what you just talked about, because I do think it's really powerful for educators to remember that every educator or every person in a school community that touches a kid has the ability to change that kid's life forever. So you cited a bus driver. There's plenty of districts across the U.S. and Canada that I think may simply just outsource the the bus drivers and not necessarily train them or think about how can that person influence every kid that gets on the bus and so i think that's one really powerful takeaway that i hear from your story the second one is i mean first off I'm, i would love to tease you about how you don't like kids yet you're making all sorts of difference in kids that's a whole nother thing here or there but yeah. you you have talked about a theme called you know not called but like you've talked about a theme about 
being here, right? Like you belong here. Like you believe you belong exactly where you are. Well, honestly, you just said we're all up against something in a pandemic and still trying to figure it out. Like, hell, I don't want to be here. Like, what are you talking about? I, I need to be here. I'm here for this moment. What does that even mean? You know, I think how I can explain it the best is I have a quote that hangs over top of my shoulder. I don't know if you can see it, but it's by a dead guy named Ram Dass. And he was a philosopher and a yogi. And he said this, we are all just here walking each other home. And when I heard those words put together in a sentence, I feel like it was the most profound group of words I'd ever heard in my years because it brought everything together for me. We are just here walking each other home. Most of us have no friggin' idea and we are in such difficult seasons in one moment and in the next moment we are somebody else's inspiration and in fact we can be doing the same we can be a walkie and a walker in the same moment yeah you can be a grade two teacher who's just lost a student and you have your arms around another student who can't make sense of the hard thing and you have your principal with his hand on your shoulder walking you through it as you walk this baby home and i think in this position of education I wish teachers knew how incredibly powerful they were because here's the deal. We talk so much about literacy and numeracy and it has nothing, nothing to do with the outcome of how we really influence the lives of babies. And in the middle of a global pandemic, on the heels of some racial reckoning, talking about systemic oppression that needed to be talked about for sure in our lifetimes in a way that's never done before. So much of this big emotion is going to be held by educators. And I feel like our work, and I this is awful to say because I know how heavy the hearts of educators across North America are in this moment. I feel like we're just, the hardest work is just starting. Because at the heart of a global pandemic is something called emotional dysregulation. And I talk a lot about this in kids these days, but this is, I think if you have one thing to accomplish as a parent, as an educator, as a caregiver. It has nothing to do with rules or how to line up or what literacy and numeracy, what outcomes we need to measure. If it all gets boiled down to one thing, it's this thing called emotional regulation, which basically means how not to lose your friggin' mind. If your child, the baby you love, the baby you're raising has the capacity to not lose their friggin' mind, to stay calm when big emotions take over in times of distress, they will be successful on this planet to the best of their cognitive ability, which means that they will be able to get back. They will do okay in developing friendship skills and they will have access to their highest form of cognition, whatever that might be for, for your time human. If they lose their friggin' mind, every time things get hard, they will struggle in every other capacity. So how do we teach kids how to regulate emotion? How do we teach them? We don't, we show them. And it's just like when you bring a baby home from the hospital, how do they let you know what they need? They, they cry, they lose their friggin' minds, right? The job of little people is to lose their friggin' minds. Guess what the job of big people is? To walk them home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shh, 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 shh. Again and again and again. And the more I regulate babies, children, humans, adolescents in my presence, the better they'll be able to do that when I'm not there. And our job is to walk them through the hard stuff so they can give it to our babies and our grandbabies and our nieces and the next generation of students. But you can't give away something you've never received. You also can't take away enough stuff from a kid to make them regulate. So, I mean, that I, first off, I love, I, I firmly believe that people follow your 
actions more than your words, right? Especially kids. So I think that's really powerful for you to say. Um, prior to the pandemic, I would give my wife and I, you know, eight to a nine on teaching self-regulation, a year of a pandemic or more. I would say I'd give us a one to two, depending on the day. And so I'm thinking like, oh, no, Luke, Noah, James. Yeah, no, sincerely. Like, I, I'm like, oh, man. Well, so help me. What What is it that your coaching folks are doing right now? Coach me. How, what, do, what do we need to do to start getting back and get that regulation and modeling it well? Okay, so here's the deal, Bad. This, this statistic saved my ass more than many times in the world of parental guilt, okay? Yep. You only need to get this right 30% of the time. <laughs> you can lose your friggin' mind. There's a group, there's a, a research group and they've written a book called How to Raise a Secure Child um, out of Seattle, Washington. Uh, and they've developed this model called the Circle of Security and I adore them. They took John Bowlby's theory of attachment and put it into really usable sort of a model. And they have, you know, quoted this data where it's like, you know, we just need to stay present 30% of the time. We can screw this up. 70% because we're exhausted and overwhelmed and we snap and we, you know, are, are worried that our kids are going to go to jail and, you know, all of the things that you should be worried as a parent, which makes us dysregulated. And the, the cool thing about it is if, if we, if we just really give ourselves some grace in this process, we're not going to get it right. Most of the time. Yeah. And I take such solace in that 30% because also it's an average, you could dip into the twenties. <laughs> and here's what I love about the most uh, about it, right? Is like so much of the three big components to to when I see kids most dysregulated. So, for example, when I worked in you know apprehending kids or uh, in the foster care system, or when I was on a locked unit with kids, here's the three sort of ingredients that result in the most dysregulated child children. Okay, uncertainty, fear, and no end in sight. So when we don't have those things in place for kids or any humans, we see them at their most dysregulated, their most jumpy, their most chippy. Hmm? Think about the three components of a global pandemic. Uncertainty, fear, and no end in sight. Even with the vaccine, yep. we're still like, well, watch the variants. <laughs> and so listen, as a globe, unprecedentedly so, we have been dysregulated. We used to have at least one teacher who had it together. We used to have at least the administrator who had it together. We used to have, okay, at least we can coach minor hockey on Sundays and get our, our, our souls filled up. At least we got church on Sunday. At least we got, you know, wings with the boys on Wednesday night. Okay. Oh, we can all play ball on Thursday night with the, with the, with the team. Like we're going to be okay. Hmm? We had places that could fill us that were predictable and routine and structured that we could then get our souls filled up in that for the physical safety of our communities have had to be taken away for at least a year for so many of us. Yeah. So those of us who used to be able to be really good at walking kids home, families home through the hot stuff, we, we want to throat punch everybody. Yes. <laughs> so we're in this system of throat punching everybody. And also, could you homeschool your children and just stay in love with your partner who you look at every day and you, you know, you really question, should I have married Todd Babbitt? Because at least he could have you know what I mean? Like we would have been better right now. So all of those things in that moment, everybody's chippy. Huh? And so we start looking at each other like, I don't even love you and I hate the children. And I, why is it the government? 
and and senior leadership doesn't give a shit. And I'm like, <laughs> and we're tired, right? And we should be. And there's so much right now that I think really matters in this place of grace as we move into the next days, weeks, and months, as we sort of part our hearts and systems back together, we really have to know that we have not seen the end of this from an emotional standpoint because the body keeps the score. A removal of the stressor does not mean the stress response is gone. Mm. We have been in a heightened state of arousal for a year. You don't just take the stress away and go, good. This is what we expected was going to happen in 2021. I don't know if this has happened in where you are, but certainly up here in Canada, we were like, let's just survive the dumpster fire that was 2020. And we're going to step into 2021 and be like, woo! Oh yeah. Not one person, right? We stepped into 2021 and people are like, well, I'm worse. <laughs> I'm so tired. I hate kids. No. What's wrong with me? And then people start trying to like get Rodan and Fields and like into all them pyramid schemes because they want to get out of education very fast. Huh? Because clearly they shouldn't have been a teacher. And I'm like, <laughs> we're so tired because there's a big difference between a removal of the stressor and the stress response. I don't know, like this often happens in education. I don't know if you'll see this, but we just try to make it to Friday. And yep. then by the time we cross the lines of Friday, we, we, we think finally we get to sleep in on Saturday. And Saturday you wake up at 5 a.m. and you're like, damn it, relax. Yep. <laughs> and by the time Monday comes, you could sleep till noon. And then you're so pissed off because your body takes a while. I mean, we often do this on um, vacation too. You know, you get five days in vacation. You're like, Whew, finally, I relaxed. What do you mean? I got to go. It's over. This often happens with educators in the large system. And we'll see this every year where they barely cross the finish line as they step into the summer or into the holidays. <sighs> They just make it across the line. You know, the last month is like movies and like every, it's sock day for everybody. I mean, this is not true. They work very hard, but you know what I mean? They're barely hanging on. And then they're exhausted for the first three weeks of the holiday. And then they start to, to, to get scared. Like, what are we doing for every, let's go to the lake and throw it. And then you're stepping back in again, right? It's this cycle of the difference between the stressor and the stress response. And so the answer to that so much for me, Dustin, is really what are we doing in the meantime? How are we looking after each other? Because senior leadership isn't gonna solve this problem tomorrow. Our you know, government officials won't be able to come up with the answer. We are all responsible for walking each other home. Yeah, so where, I know you gave me a story, you talked about you know the story of your teacher helping you understand the power of walking, you know, the connections, right? Um, and what in your life like really hit that home for you as an adult to say i'm going to commit my life to this and i'm going to be so passionate about it that i'm going to go share this story through books and speeches and podcasts and being on tv like what what was that for you oh my gosh there's two things two things that stick out for me and the one i just most recently figured out but the first thing is certainly when i was working with kids and families who um, we have struggled for generations to behaviorally modify. And so it would be when I would get called into a school, when I started our practice here in this small farming town, I would get calls from rural schools all over the place saying, can we do a consult on this kid? We have never, ever seen a kid like this. And I'd be like, yes. 
So I would show up and there'd be like an ed file or a cube file, like the size of the St. James. Okay. So this kid's maybe 10 and in there, I don't even have to open it, but I can tell you there's three psycho eds. There's a, uh, an, uh, like tons of behavioral support plans that say motivators and triggers. There is um, identifying motivators and triggers. There's a, a speech language report, an OT, a PT, an LMNOP, a QRS, and a couple of other acronymy things thrown in to try to assist this baby. And a group of really exhausted professionals who have less sleep over this kid. Hmm? So I would close the, the ed file. I would look at the sacred soul and I would say, I would ask some questions. I would, I would ask this, who can tell me his middle name? What level is he on in Fortnite? <laughs> What color are his eyes, right? When's the last time he saw his mama? How many foster homes has he been in? And when I started to have a staff who knew the story of this babe, the ed file started to decrease. Because here's the truth of anybody on this planet. We don't wanna be fixed or saved. We simply wanna be witnessed. And when we are seen, when we are acknowledged, we will rise. And in this process of trying to fix and program and identify motivators and triggers, we miss the baby in that story. And when we look at them and see them again, oh my gosh, these kids, they will tell us again and again and again that you just, you just be in my, on my side. The ones who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. I'm not saying this is, easy. I mean, it sounds really easy in this way, but these are the hitters and the kickers and the biters and the ones that tell you to F off. Those are hard babies. And they're that way for a reason. I've never met a single kid who, you know, we've talked about suspending or, um, you know, putting on, you know, leaving, uh, putting into the principal's office, doing all of those things, sending to the hallway repeatedly, all those things that does not have a story that would crush your soul. And typically when our group of people who care for this kid know that, that story, the bus driver, the custodian, the EA, the teacher, listen, now I say, can you, can you come to my, let's just get this baby here till June. Can you do this with me, Mr. S? I mean, you got three grandkids, isn't that? This is all we need. Let's, let's get this kid. He loves Skittles. You love Skittles? Let's go. And when I can get, you know, I, then we have a group of people who are, because educators are holy souls. They have lost sleep over other people's children. And when I give them a reason to love a kid, there's so much put me in coach that like they're fighting. I want them. I got them. Right. And so how do we create that in our cultural shift? Because this is what's going to be really critical as we move forward, because there's so many families that are dysregulated. Our child maltreatment numbers are going through the roof. Our divorce rates are higher than they have been certainly pre-pandemic, which means we have really dysregulated homes. And these babies are then going to come into the school just because they left their house for the stress response will play out in a classroom for the next few years. Well, so normally I would say any other year of my life, I would have probably gone down a thread with you after talking like that about, let's talk about the kids and let's continue to dive in. But where, where my head and heart is right now, and I'm sure you're seeing this when you're out and about with working with educators right now, or at least virtually working with educators right now. Um, I, so I, I hear that story, right? Which is awesome. We do have to know what the kid is and who they are. Um, right now, my heart goes out to all the educators, as you said, who may, who are struggling with their own regulation. Like, even though they're the ones that say, put me in coach, I want to love, I want to learn this kid, I want to get their story they may have, I think you've called it compassion fatigue or something. I don't know if that's the right angle in this, but I feel like uh, I what I need help with from you, if I'm an educator right now, is how, how do I start 
putting the pieces, like taking care of myself, the wellness so that I can raise my hand effectively to put myself in the game. Number one, you are so 100% correct. The kids are the least of our worries because if we're not okay, these, those babies don't stand a chance. And historically in the institution of education, we continue to pour money and support and resources into the kids. There's very little focus on the, the mental health, the functioning of the big people. And if I had my way in the system of education, I would shift resources significantly to the employees because we have some of the finest curriculum on the planet. We have invested a lot of resources into what kids need and what we've done a really poor job of is what does that look like for the big people? And I'll tell you the data around this is really phenomenal. Um, and you know, you're probably familiar with this, but I was I was reading some research by Eric Mosley just this last week, and he's created the Work Human Movement, um, where he talks a lot about the importance of sort of creating healthy culture. And he he would say, you know, in, in Canada, we talk a lot about with our indigenous peoples, they've taught me this more than anybody on the planet, the importance of a land acknowledgement. Yeah. So that you just acknowledge the land that I'm on. I'm coming to you from Treaty 7 land, which is home of the Blackfoot Confederacy. And as I sit here, I know Inuit nations, uh, Métis and First sorry, First Nations people have walked this planet right here where I'm raising my three babies. And I'm so grateful for the sacrifices. The cool thing about an acknowledgement is it's not a one-shot deal and it's not an apology. When you continue to acknowledge people, they will rise. And when we do this for our staff, not just one time. So Mosley's data is really cool. He's like zero to two times. If you acknowledge or appreciate your staff zero to two times in a year, turnover rate is 21%. If you over that to 12, and it doesn't have to be monetary. It's like a note on the windshield. It's a sit down and look at me. I'm so grateful for you. Turnover rate drops to below 1%. 12 times. Yeah. And here's what I, I want to give you an example of that, right? What happens, and you know this, when you bring a high quality meat tray to a staff room. Now I know COVID is restricting some of those things, but when you, not cheap shit from Walmart, but like high quality meat trays, like there's maybe some hummus and grapes, maybe, do you know, I'm good Ukrainian. So there may be some kubasa on there. What happens when word gets out in the hallway that there's snacks in the staff room like people are leaving children unattended. They're shooting over people in the hall. What? There's hummus and grapes? Why? Who died? And and they're like, you know, if there's a note there that just says, I'm so grateful as a parent of two of your students in grade five, you're changing my kids' lives. Thank you for showing up. I saw your cars here last night till nine o'clock. I know it's report card week. From this mama's heart, I just want to say thank you. What, what happens when we're acknowledged? I mean, if you're out in the community, Dustin, and somebody sees you, this is a great example, and they say to you, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I saw your son yesterday. He's amazing. I, I don't know, Dad, what you're doing right, but like, he is the coolest kid. He's got the best manners. I just wanted to tell you, I'm just so grateful that he's friends with my kid. I hope he's at my house more often. What happens when somebody acknowledges you, yeah. right? Typically our shoulders are back, our, we're like, oh! I mean, we want to make out with them, which is really how affairs ha happen in minor hockey. But it's really this idea of like, if that's not appropriate, just for the record, but you're like, what? Stop, I love your best. <laughs> oh my God, right? Nope. 
it's like a light and it is the superpower that we each hold and we have never been more disconnected in the history of the free world than we are right now so so that's number one yeah number two keep going i'm, I'm in so number two, it's all right sorry. keep going so my question following up on that though as you say that is you often continue to talk about connection, 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 right? And I think you have something that's about braver together. Connections is peace. And I want to keep harping on how, how am I building that community and that connectivity in this kind of current place that we're in? Okay. I'll tell you. So what's more important to me than the word connection is actually the word reconnection because connection is not hard. Reconnection is becoming back to something that was previously, we previously had a relationship with. Yeah. John Gottman in his world of marital research would say that the predictors of couples who make it and couples that don't have nothing to do with your ability to fight or have difficult conversations. It's your ability to repair that predicts the outcome. Okay. So here's the interesting thing is it's the reconnection after we've had a hard staff meeting. It's the reconnection after we've, um, you know, the parents have stormed out of the office. It's the reconnection after the kid won't turn on their camera and we can't find them. It's the continued bid to understand, seek first to understand instead of being understood. It is that idea of how do we step in first? Yeah. And that's the hardest thing to do when you are emotionally dysregulated. So here's the top three things I would say that I want you to consider tucking in your back pocket as we move forward in this next days, weeks, months. If you want a healthy school culture, a healthy community. Number one is do not underestimate your power of acknowledgement. When we are emotionally dysregulated, we stop not only looking, but we really stop seeing. We get, we lose our dual awareness. And so we feel like everything is happening to us, not for us, right? This administration doesn't get it. And what, how are we going to come back? The outcome, the kids are two years behind now and all they're reading like, I, <laughs> and we lose our capacity to just notice that the principal needs a compliment. That if I stopped in the bus lane and said to the bus driver, thank you for getting our babes here safe today, right? If I waved at my neighbor, if I bought coffee for the guy behind me, in the um, Starbucks lineup. I was gonna say Tim Hortons, but that's real Canadian. Uh, it, it, it's that idea of how do we start to acknowledge each other again, because this is a global experience. We're, we were, we're fighting a virus, not each other, not something. And it becomes really difficult to remember that the answer forward is our simply our power in each other. If you're the guy at the staff meeting rolling your eyes, get out, dude. I need you to show up in a way that to the best of your capacity, you're going to be able to say to the next guy, I got you. Yeah. To the best of your capacity, whatever it is on any given day, it's enough. Right. The second thing that I think is really critical in this process is simply that idea of really focusing on the joy. Now, I really want to be careful that we're not going to Mary Poppins, the ever loving love out of this and just jump over all of the hard part, because I think we haven't spent enough time acknowledging what teachers have done, how they've had to pivot in this last 365 days, how much we put them at risk and their families at risk. While at the same time, they have their own babies and their own sick parents and chemo treatments haven't stopped. And We've asked them to do so much in holding our babies, each other's babies through this hard thing. And I don't know that we've acknowledged them enough. So that whole piece of acknowledgement just holds so many things for me. The second thing I think is really critical is I'd love you or them to just write the word reconnect. 
um, on their computers, put it up in their classrooms. And why that word matters to me is it really represents three things. I need to reconnect to my people. Who are the top three in my mind that reminds me why I'm on this planet? If they're no longer here, uh, because I have um, one of my best friends lost her battle to cancer and I need to speak to her in those moments when I want it, when it all gets too much. So I go for a drive or I go for a walk and she, I mean, she listens. I also make sure that I call my best friend. I also make sure that I sink into the people who remind me that I'm amazing. So reconnect with your people. I often ask people, you know, when we're doing these talks to send a text to somebody, one person who's on the top of your list right now, who you know needs to get reconnected to. You send them a text that says this, I don't know if I tell you this enough, but you matter to me. And you send it. And primarily, if you're still married, first of all, good job. But if you're still married, um, I would ideally say, send this to your partner. And a couple of things will happen. Either they're going to be in shock and they won't respond for a short period of time. Don't worry. But they might come back with, are you are you okay? <laughs> My husband always says to me, what do you buy? <laughs> because the people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. And we've never been more disconnected. So if I want to continue to serve, I got to make sure my house is right. So that's the number one in reconnecting with your people. The other reconnection that I think matters the most, and I'll say this to every of your precious educators listening, is reconnect to your breath. In this moment, deep breath, drop those shoulders because the body keeps the score. Yeah. And I can tell you when I ask teachers to do this, what happens is it often leaks out their balls. Okay. So when you drop your shoulders, there's this salty thing, this tear thing that starts to come out your eyes. Because we very, we haven't had very much permission over the last year just to drop your shoulders. You've had a big responsibility, right? And then the last thing around reconnection is really, again, when I think about your purpose, your why. And for me, we're just gonna fast forward it for the sake of time, but my purpose always comes back to that Ram Das quote, we're just walking each other home. You do your best that you can on any given day. And I promise you, if you can get the top three kids in your head, you'll never forget as your students. If you can get them in your head right now, I promise you, they think about you 10 times as much. If you only knew. So it's acknowledgement, reconnection. And the last thing is really about joy. And it's, it's funny, it's the most vulnerable emotion on the planet. If I leave any of us to our own devices, we will think about, plan for all the things that can go wrong before we ever sink into the things that make us belly laugh. And so for me, it's about comedians. It's about if my team is exhausted, I really need to find a place on the internet where I can just laugh because my only job in the run of the day is to drop my cortisol at least once or twice. So that in three months from now or six years from now, I still have enough left in the tank to do this work that I just adore, yeah? So your question about Braver Together was really, uh, we came up with this day. I do these, uh, I created days four times a year, one for teachers specifically, which always happens in August. And this one for um, anybody who really needs to be nurtured, it's called Together, Braver. And we have a whole day of women where we're gonna come together on May 8th and talk a lot about, okay, okay, just for a hot second, what do we need to do to get through this? And so I found some of the finest speakers, including one of your own, her name's Fortune Feimster. She's the funniest woman on the planet. And I, like, I had this big list of like, who could I sit down with to bring joy to this community? She's the number one. And she freaking said yes. 
She is going to join me on a live conversation. Like, what am I going to talk to Fortune Beamster about? Do you know her? If you don't, you get, you have to really get acquainted by the end of today because she will change your life. All right. Funniest, funniest comedian on the planet. Anyway, her and um, all kinds of like amazing people. And um, we're just going to sit and talk about some hard things about disconnection and uh, adoption. Because one of my biggest stories is I think that the disconnection platform, the reconnection has been a part of my life since before I was born because uh, I didn't know until I was 36 that I have a full biological sister. And so my parents uh, gave up my sister for adoption when they, um, uh, people really don't like the term gave up. So they, my, my sister was adopted um, at birth and I didn't know about her till she was 36. And so my parents were teenagers when they became pregnant with her and didn't tell a soul. And over the last 10 years, she found us and she's reconnected with my parents. And it has been, and our family, it's been the biggest gift. And I'm so grateful to her to watch pieces of a puzzle be put back together and the people I love the most. And to look into the eyes of somebody who, you know, shares my my genetics, who looks like me, sounds like me. She's, I mean, slightly less classy, but also, and older, significantly five years older than me. But it has been the most remarkable experience of my days and it really has grounded me in this belief that we have one purpose which is to to stay reconnected to um, this journey of other humans because we're wired for it yeah i i appreciate the the difference between connection and reconnection right because i think i can reach out to someone once pretty easily but the point is is to continue to have the reconnection um I, one question I ask everybody before I let them off the podcast, and you may have answered it with your three tips right there of how to, how to get, uh, connect in a better way. But I, I always ask, as you think about our audience, um, this podcast is called Change Starts Here because we believe we want to talk to people who are leaders, aspire to be leaders, but also understand that change is messy, right? Change requires hard work change requires failure. You got to keep getting up and doing things, uh, uh, never ever give up. So for you, what advice, if anything else you want to add to what you said earlier, uh, is on your heart right now to just advise folks on, uh, here's, here's the best leadership advice I have right now. That's on my heart. Hmm. You know, my, one of my biggest fans in this world of leadership, in addition to Stephen Covey, of course, is uh, all of his works phenomenal. Um, Brene Brown, um, has made maybe the biggest mark on my soul. And I think it's really this idea of having the hard conversations, collecting the emotion. Now she has this quote, I'm going to tell you real quick, that really changed my life. And I keep it right by my desk because I have to think about it all the time. And it really is about this idea. I'll read it to you. Leaders, and I think, well, our leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. It is not in this next season anything about policy and procedure or outcome. It is all about staying connected and reconnected to the people just who have signed up to walk my most precious commodity, your most precious commodity home. They have said, I will step in and I will wipe tears and snotty noses and be exposed to lice on the daily. This, I mean, this white teachers are friggin' heroes to me because there's not a chance. <laughs> and they say, put me in to hang on to your babies in some of their most you know, difficult moments. And 
I just feel like it is so critically important right now to attend to the fears and feelings that are so heightened so that we can continue to do this job and watch those babies walk across stages and get those notes from parents and those, you know, those follow-up calls from kids 10 years later that said it was because of you, Miss Woodburn, that I'm here today. That's why we do this work, yeah? It's never in the moment. It's always about the impact that we make and it's really remembering how critically, how woven we are into so many tapestries that we may never even know of. That's awesome. So uh, obviously people can follow you on Instagram, uh, which is actually a really fun follow, I will say. Uh, is there, what, what's the best way, you know, is, is there's new folks that are hearing about you for the first time. What's the best way for them to plug in to who you are, what you're about and how you're going about changing this world? Oh, I would love to see them on, on any of our platforms. We're on, you know, Instagram and uh, Facebook. And I do a live every morning. I started this beginning of the pandemic because I was really concerned about just the disconnection that was happening for our educators and people in our community. So every morning, Monday to Friday at 730 Mountain, um, generally speaking, if my kids are losing their freaking minds, do my husband get up to treadmill? Then I jump on for 15 to 20 minutes and we have established this community. There's 15,000 people that join us, um, view sort of every morning. And we just talk about whatever's happening in the day. It's just that reset to, to refill our hearts. And so there's that, there's Together coming up on May 8th. I would love your community to be a part of that. Um, because I think when you sit with the winners, the conversation is different. And I think I really want you to be careful about who you surround yourself with, right? Um, and that's what I love about Covey stuff. I think it's really this idea of this is no one-shot deal. You'll need some place to land when you need your soul filled up again and again. So be very careful about who you choose to sit with. That's awesome. Well, Jody, uh, your authenticity is incredibly refreshing. So thank you for bringing your whole heart to this podcast. Uh, I hope you'll agree to come on with us again. I believe I saw somewhere on Instagram I don't know if it was a Sunday Night Live. Again, I don't know all the stuff that I'm referring to, but uh, it was you and some really talented folks sitting there with a glass of wine talking about life or issues or whatever. And so uh, we'll have to see if we can figure out how to recreate something like that for us so we can get even more comfortable and talk about uh, many more fun topics. Uh, it would be my honor. Yeah, Jody, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us today. Have a great day. You too. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.